This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 12, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The federal government already owns a staggering amount of U.S. land and is now rethinking what to do with dozens of federal monuments within those lands. Hannah Downey is a research fellow at the Property and Environment Research Center. We talked about what makes a national monument and what the feds ought to do with those massive land holdings. The federal government owns uh, a huge, like a, 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 a gallingly huge amount mm-hmm. of uh, U.S. territory. And uh, in particular, in the 13 Western states, the government owns roughly half of the ground in those states. So what challenges does that pose for states that want to have any role in uh, managing or in some cases profiting from uh, those lands? Yeah, with with the federal government owning over half the land in the Western United States, it poses this really interesting uh, juxtaposition between state and federal authority on those lands and even local input. So oftentimes we're seeing a lot of these federal lands being put into uh, pretty restrictive designations, largely national monuments and national parks. Um, and areas where the local communities who rely largely you know, on, on grazing or timber or oil and gas, uh, mining even, they're seeing their, their traditional uses on these lands uh, kind of being locked up. And they're having a difficulty with, with how do they then proceed and how do they, how do they reconcile their traditional uses with these new, uh, more restrictive designations on these lands. And the states are also having this issue in that they're wondering, how do we, how do we protect our traditional economies and the livelihoods of our citizens? Um, and especially with, with state tracts of land kind of being interspersed randomly throughout some of these areas, now you have all of these competing interests of state versus federal versus local interests and how to balance all of those. President Obama, uh, I think on his way out of office, renamed some of these sort of prized geographical uh, places in in the United States, monuments. And uh, President Trump recently called for a review of 27 of these hunks of property. Uh, what What does that process mean or what does it do? Mm-hmm. So, uh, under the under the Antiquities Act of 1906, actually created by Teddy Roosevelt, it gave the president the authority to designate existing public lands as national monuments. Uh, so that being said, Roosevelt intended this land, you know, to still incorporate some of these local uses and to protect the antiquities or uh, local kind of heritage sites and antiquity sites. Um, that was the intent of the Antiquities Act, and Roosevelt only designated 1.5 million acres of land under the Antiquities Act as national monuments. Now let's contrast that with modern day. President Obama, on the other hand, designated more than 550 million acres of national monuments under the Antiquities Act. Uh, so with all of this, we've seen this expanse of, of how the president has used the Antiquities Act and this kind of overreach of power and no longer designating just small little kind of sacred heritage sites, but now taking over millions of acres of, of public land and turning them into these national monuments. Is there any restriction on the ability of a president to simply make these declarations? 
No, the president has has full power to do these uh, with other with other federal tracts of land. Uh, Congress is involved, but not with national monuments. Okay, so it's possible then of these hundreds or these many many millions of acres in the western states could be all declared national monuments. I mean, theoretically. Yes, theoretically, that is that is true. If we have public land, then it can be under the Antiquities Act designated a national monument. And so, how does that change the potential uses of those of those lands? Because we, we, I think, a lot of people don't really understand that even on federal lands, there are commercial uses of those lands, either grazing or uh, some kinds of recreation. That that uh, money is paid probably too little, but uh, some money is paid in order to make use of those lands uh, to do that. So what changes when something is declared some, a national monument? Correct. So on, on a lot of public lands, largely Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management lands, the rights to graze or harvest timber or um, oil and gas uses, those can actually be purchased either via auction or just sold um, kind of in a marketplace to to commercial uses, to ranchers, timber harvesters, oil and gas companies. Um, and that being said, so when a national monument is designated, um, each monument is unique in how it's created. But in in the majority of cases, uh, those, those other uses, those timber leases, grazing, that can all be uh, restricted. However, historic uses and uh, those leases that were held prior to the de- designation are often grandfathered in. Okay, so uh, traditional uses, historic uses, that's that's grazing, that's moving cattle, that's mm-hmm. uh, and things related to that? Correct, correct. Uh, a lot of this is how the local people make their living. They're, they're ranchers, they're timber harvesters, they rely on coal or oil to make their living. Sort of a big stink has been made about the fact that President Trump has ordered this review of these national monuments. What is the likely result of that? And is it likely that those lands will then be restored to merely federal lands and not these uh, special monument designations? Yes. So Secretary Zinke with the Department of the Interior has said that he is not suggesting that any of the 27 monuments under review be rescinded which means that most of these monuments, you know, they will all maintain their, uh, their kind of federal land status, but there are alternative ways that they could be changed, such as shrinking in some of the size or restructuring their management. Um, so, for example, at PERC, we've looked at a few of these alternatives of how do you involve more local market-based management approaches rather than the current just federal oversight. Are there examples of federal lands or monuments uh, having their federally restricted use is actually stepped down, that is a transfer of some decision rights over these lands to state authorities or return to private uses? Mm-hmm. So there is is precedent of presidents actually kind of shrinking the size of some of these monuments. So still maintaining the kind of core monument area, but returning some of the other land to either other public entities such as the Forest Service or Bureau of Land Management. Um, Some of the ideas that PERC is looking at um, involve ways to involve more more local saying and more kind of tribal management um, rather than just returning 
returning these lands to other federal entities. So if, for example, we've looked at tribal co-management of Bears Ears National Monument, looking at kind of a trust management approach, um, creating a board of trustees that would oversee the, the monument and involve people on that board who have different interests in how that land is used, including traditional tribal uses, local community uses, and then also, you know, the recreation industry and traditional government oversight. Hannah Downey is a research fellow at the Property and Environment Research Center. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in August. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.